right, Bankless Nation, welcome to another episode of State of the Nation. We've got a special guest here, Joe Lubin. Before we get to Joe, State of the Nations, what do we do during State of the Nations, David? We talk about a headline article, a headline news piece, something something that's going through the news cycle, which for this week, it was the CME Futures launch. Something cool that happens every single week. We get a guest on to talk about what's going on in the news cycle. And of course, this week, it's, it's Joseph Lubin, who has watched the growth of Ethereum since day one. And now that ETH Futures are launched, we want to get Joe on to talk about really what does this mean for the story of Ether, the asset, and Ethereum, the economy. It has been quite the journey. So getting Joe's thoughts here are going to be cool. Um, State of the Nation comes out every Tuesday. We stream this live over YouTube. So catch it there. That's the best way to catch it. You can also get it directly into your ears via the podcast. So catch it that way too. We release the podcast episodes on Wednesday. David, before we get to CME Futures, before we talk to Joe, a few things going on in the nation that we should talk about. We just had Vitalik on the podcast where we got his reflections on the year that was 2020. We talked about rollups. We also talked about um, smart contract wallets, in particular, the UX around social recovery. That was an awesome episode. What were your takeaways there? Yeah, I often say that the crypto industry has one of the best vantage points to see the rest of the world because there's so many different things that happen that are happening in the world that are very new in 2020 and now 2021. Money printer go burr, uh, the president getting deplatformed, uh, you know, social unrest, and crypto offers like a lens to see all of it. And that's kind of what Vitalik put into his 2020 reflections uh, blog post, which I th- found absolutely fascinating. Vitalik does a, a good job, kind of putting into perspective how he sees the world and how crypto is going to impact the world uh, when we when just the uh, collision course of crypto impacts the rest of the world, which we all think is coming, especially this year. Um, and so that was a pretty uh, interesting piece. And then, of course, we get into more Ethereum-centric conversations such as roll-ups and how roll-ups work and why roll-ups are so cool. And also the intersection of social recovery and uh, uh, smart contract wallets specifically on L2s like rollups. Uh, Vitalik is long-term bullish on smart contract wallets on L2 platforms. Uh, and so that was just a fantastic uh, pieces of, of uh, blog posts, Vitalik's blog post that we went through. So really informative episode. Absolutely. Anytime Vitalik is on a podcast, I make a point to listen because there's always something insightful there. So do that. That came out on Monday. We also have Brett Johnson, who is coming out next week, our podcast recording with him. This is the guy behind the dollar milkshake theory. And we asked Brett about the crypto milkshake theory, (laughs) but we also talk about the dollar's reserve currency status. So if you are tracking this from a monetary theory perspective, make sure you tune into that episode coming next Monday. And then David, this Thursday, we have a live AMA with Tom from the Alpha Finance Protocol. This protocol has been like exploding in growth, just a massive amount of mm-hmm. ETH locked. Last time I looked, it was like three and a half percent. Uh, no, it was, it was half a percent of mm-hmm. ETH locked, 350 million or something ETH locked inside of the Alpha Finance Protocol. So this is going to be a community AMA with Tasha where we figure out uh, wh- where they're going next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the AMAs are fantastic for me personally because I ask my own questions that I'm yeah, interested in. And I, I get a ton of learning done in, during these things. And then, of course, we always turn to the YouTube chat box to get listener questions as well. The last AMA we did, the chat box was a pretty fun place to be. Uh, and so if you have questions about what Alpha is, how it works, or what's going on with Alpha in the future, definitely tune in to that AMA coming this Thursday. 
Guys, this is the secret. David and I do this bank list thing for ourselves so that we can level <laughs> up and so that we can learn and we're just open sourcing it. That's actually mm -hmm. that's actually the entire platform. In open source anyway, learning. Yeah. All right, David, before we get to Joe, uh, I'm going to ask you the question I always ask you at the beginning of State of the Nations. What is the State of the Nation this week, my friend? The State of the Nation is astounded. We are astounded. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, the, the CEO of like the, the most beloved uh, company, at least from a younger person's perspective, just bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. Like we've never seen a, a that large of a single purchase of Bitcoin ever. And it's been done by like Elon Musk, who has a, a just a massive platform and a massive following on Twitter. So like just adding a core, core fundamental character right into the heart of like the Bitcoin world. And like Bitcoin paints its largest candle ever, a one day candle, $8,000 in a single day. Absolutely insane. Uh, I'm astounded. I'm pretty sure the rest of the Bankless Nation is astounded as well. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty big week, and I, I kind of woke up to the fact that oh, uh, crypto's mainstream now. Like that's what's mm -hmm. happening. Uh, you're you're still maybe early on ETH. You're still maybe early on DeFi. You are no longer early on Bitcoin, right? Like. Yeah. Elon Musk is buying it yeah. and it's going mainstream. This is also going to get some of the, I think the Wall Street bets crowd involved. Of course, Tesla is one of their beloved stocks. And uh, I think given the events of GameStop, we've talked about that a lot here. This is going to draw some of their attention too. So dude, overall bullish, it's, mm -hmm. it's astounding. Good word choice, my friend. I'm wondering when you're going to run out of adjectives, though. Of the <laughs> We're going through them quick. <laughs> That's awesome, especially the bullish ones. All right, guys, last thing. Um, Consensus, the conference, is coming up. This is a really exciting mm -hmm. conference to attend, especially in a crypto bull market. I remember my first uh, bull market consensus yeah. conference. It was absolutely off the wall, insane. They're doing it virtual this year. It's happening May 24th. Ray Dalio is coming. Ooh. Like. We couldn't get Ray Dalio, you know, five years ago. So this is Consensus, the conference, of course. You can reserve your place now. You could save $20 with Bankless. We've got a link in the show notes for you. So do that in just a moment. We will be back to talk to Joe Lubin, co-founder of Ethereum about ETH futures. But before we do, uh, we want to tell you about our fantastic sponsors who made this episode possible. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got back into crypto back in 2017, and it has been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. 
Gemini is available in all 50 states and over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens like Wi-Fi, Aave, Uni, and also they are one of the few exchanges that has liquid DAI markets. Having both the option of logging into the Gemini.com website or instead opening the Gemini mobile app has allowed me to be able to access any and all exchange and on or off ramp services that I've needed to on a moment's notice. With instant deposits and fast withdrawals, I'm able to make my money do the things I want it to when I want it to. You can buy crypto safely and securely on Gemini with the peace of mind of knowing that your investments are insured and protected with industry leading cybersecurity. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after signup, you'll be gifted a free $15 bonus. Check them out, gemini.com slash go bankless. Guys, we are back with State of the Nation. We've got Joe Lubin here, who is the co-founder of Ethereum. He needs no introduction to the Ethereum community. He's also the founder of Consensus, which has built some of the most important pieces of Ethereum infrastructure over the years, including MetaMask, which if you're going bankless, you probably use just about every day. Also Gitcoin, Infura, Truffle, many other pieces of infrastructure. Joe, how are you doing today, sir? Welcome to Bankless. Um, great, thank you. I've been sitting back here in the weight room. I, I've got a, an appointment scheduled with my bankless managers. Treasury <laughs> <laughs> management for, for people who like Ether. You know, there, there's a live shot of uh, David somewhere on Twitter, and he he was caught in a inside of Wells Fargo today. I'm not sure yeah. how that happened, David, but like you're supposed to be bankless, man. You're inside of Wells Fargo. What's going on? Yeah, somebody caught me making a deposit. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Uh, well, Joe, this is a really exciting week, I think, for all of crypto. David just talked about Elon Musk and his purchase of Bitcoin earlier, but also um, the launch of Ether futures on the CME. Maybe we could kind of rewind the clock a little bit and talk about, because you've seen this project uh, through from inception, basically. Um, when I Ethereum- two weeks ago. Okay, well, tell <laughs> two weeks, <laughs> weeks, not months, right? So, but uh, Joe, you, you, when you were starting the project early on with the other kind of co-founders, um, how did you think about ETH the asset? Did you ever think that there would be a day where it would be traded on the Chicago CME? Um, so, I um, locked in pretty early on this stuff. I. Um, thought that uh, uh, when I read, pretty much right, when I read the Bitcoin white paper, I thought it would be uh, massively transformational. Uh, I thought it would take quite a long time. Um, I have been called uh, an optimist or a true believer. Uh, and so I, I, um, I did um, think that, uh, um, that there would be profound transformation accelerated by Vitalik's vision um, over how fast it would have happened if we were uh, sort of moving bits around with a scanning tunneling microscope and trying to build software that way on on the Bitcoin protocol. Um, and, and I did, I've, I've spoken over the years about the fact that we were building uh, infrastructure um, and that that infrastructure was sort of commodity-like or uh, would take on 
similar architectures as that of grains and precious metals and, and other kinds of commodities and, and so would need uh, financial instruments and deep financial infrastructure to get more efficient. Uh, we've seen, so we started out uh, with super inefficient mining and, uh, and wallets that would just set prices for you and nobody would even know what they were or, or adjust them ever. And, uh, uh, and recently, uh, our Infura team um, is launching something uh, really, really cool called the Infura Transactions Manager. And they've demonstrated that uh, people are overpaying pretty massively um, just because there's so much fear about getting your transaction handled uh, that uh, we can actually, um, using various techniques and intelligence, we can actually just assure people um, that the uh, the pitfalls uh, um, that are inherent in sometimes in in trying to get transactions processed uh, are managed by a service that uh, can save you money and um, and uh, guarantee nearly uh, that uh, what you want to happen does happen. Uh, so uh, I would say that uh, yes, uh, I did, and and several people did anticipate that things would go mainstream. It is astonishing to see how fast it's happened. Um, and I kind of want to call out my friends at Aerosex. So we've been involved uh, uh, as investors and and really actively with that project early on, uh, Aerosex. Uh, um, so, so the CME news is incredible. Um, super excited about it. Um, it is much more institutional focused. Um, retail trader would um, have to jump through some hoops to take advantage of that. Uh, Aerosex actually paved the way uh, for um, for the CME futures. Uh, so they, they launched May of last year, I think. Um, so they've got Bitcoin futures, Ether futures and spot and um, and they're certainly more friendly uh, to retail. And, and they're, um, they have a physically delivered product, which I think is important. Uh, it's something that I've been talking about for a long time, if you're a um, speculator or, or need to hedge in other ways, um, uh, making sure uh, the uh, difference from basis is not, because these are really two different markets, two different liquidity pools, and, and they can get skewed pretty badly. Uh, and so making sure they're, they're locking in at, uh, uh, at delivery. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, physical delivery is 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 key. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm wondering your 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 thoughts on this. Is this the kind of the the, the CME the listing on the CME and Aerosex, as as you were mentioning earlier, kind of paved the way for this? But is this basically U.S. regulators signaling that yes, we agree, ETH is a commodity asset. ETH is a commodity money. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Heath Harbert made that statement explicitly. Uh, the SECs basically said that. Um, we said that um, in the first few months of the Ethereum project uh, that we saw it as, uh, as a fuel, uh, as one of the first uh, crypto commodities. Um, there are others and will be other crypto commodities. Um, and you said money in there. Uh, I don't know if you think about whether ETH is money or not, but. Uh, I thought about that. Dave and I have given that some thought, and we've come to the conclusion that indeed it is money. It yeah. indeed is money. Do you it, concur, David? It is known. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so, so the question is, what is money or, or what is money going forward? Um, we know the three definitions of money. Um, so numeraire, um, uh, means of exchange, uh, store of value. Um, and we positioned Ether as a crypto fuel. Um, we also positioned it as a better money than money and a better money than Bitcoin even because it's programmable and cheaper to fire around sometimes usually. Uh, well, we'll see that that will uh, uh, change in both directions over time. Um, and money is kind of contextual and social and symbolic. Uh, so cigarettes are money in some cases, um, notches on sticks are money in some cases. I would argue in the future that we're not gonna need abstract money so much except as a numeraire. Uh, I would argue that maybe that gets taken care of by evolving baskets of tokens. Um, but uh, money is really a convenience right now. And in a world in which we're tokenizing everything and in which we have um, intelligent agents um, determining which tokens you want to get rid of when you're paying for something first and which tokens you want to receive when you're receiving um, in a certain order um, and exchange services that uh, can help you make that trade if you're not able to, to accomplish that directly uh, and just listings of tokens um, where you've got these open markets uh, that are valuing the tokens whether they're automated market makers or order books inside of the spread of automated market makers. I, I would argue that um, the role of money, the abstract role of money is going to go away and everything's going to be money. Joe, I want to get your perspective on how this story of ETH has evolved so far, because, you know, we, we talk about ETH as money. We talk about like ETH as like a triple point asset as as gas or, you know, store of value for DeFi. But I want to get your opinion as to what what was the consensus around Ether, the asset, back in 2015? And how, knowing how, what we know now, the, the six-year-old history of, of Ether and Ethereum, how, did, how has the path followed suit or not followed suit from the, the mental models that you had back in the early days of Ethereum? Like, what, what is surprising to you and, and what, what is something that you just expected? Um. So there were things that we were thinking that we weren't saying. Um, and we were initially not very disciplined in the first two or three months. And then we got very disciplined about what we would say publicly um, uh, after discussions with lawyers. And so we crafted legal arguments uh, to the effect that uh, we would be selling a token uh, that would not be considered uh, by the SEC a sale of uh, an unregistered security uh, to any Americans. Uh, and so. Um, the characterization of Ether as a crypto fuel was genuine, is still genuine. Uh, it pays for storage and execution of, of computational steps on Ethereum. Um, and we also really wanted to focus on um, the developer ethos, where it was all about building and then biddling, um, and not so much about um, early speculation. Uh, so the speculation came in uh, a few years later, uh, mostly in 2017. Okay. And that's great. I mean, we need speculators in our ecosystem. We need uh, um, people, actors with all, all sorts of interests in our ecosystem. Um, but the fact that we established um, the developer ethos 
early uh, was really important. Um, and as I said earlier, we uh, we did anticipate uh, many of the things that were happening. We anticipated sharding in the first three days. Um, I remember having a discussion about that. Uh, we had a burn model uh, that we were working on uh, with respect to ether uh, very early, which uh, um, presages 1559. Um, so we, had, you know. The execution has been remarkable, um, and it's incredibly difficult to stand up a technology top-down. Uh, it has evolved beautifully um, by the agency of, of so many different actors with different expertise. Uh, so it uh, seems to be going pretty well. We've got a long way to go. So Joe, for those not familiar with you know, what futures listing, regulator approved futures listing means in, in the US. Yeah. We have a lot of retail listeners out there and they're probably not as familiar with kind of the, the traditional financial banking landscape. But what does this mean for the financialization of Ether as an asset or even the in, in, in two, uh, institutions uh, and their outlook on Ether as an asset? Yeah, so, um... There has been astonishing movement in the Bitcoin ecosystem, um, driven early on by people like my friend Mike Novogratz, um, more recently by um, Paul Tudor Jones, Stanley Druckmiller, and a handful of others uh, who've jumped in. Um, and recently, Michael Saylor, who I think wins MVP already for, for 21, uh, maybe for 20 as well, late, late 20. Um, so MicroStrategy uh, has taken a very uh, structured, organized approach to pivoting almost their business model to uh, uh, to turn their balance sheet into uh, a Bitcoin museum uh, where they're um, trading assets for Bitcoin and borrowing money and buying Bitcoin. And uh, so far, I think that's gone very well for them. Um, Bitcoin's a volatile asset. So, uh, um, and, and I, know, I know they're very smart, so that I expect they won't get into trouble, but uh, they're packaging up um, the tremendous diligence that they did and, and the structured strategic um, steps that they've followed. Uh, and I think they mentioned it may be 1,000 or 1,400 CEOs and CFOs were on their live stream. And I'm sure um, many more will be watching uh, the recorded versions. And so Novogratz has been saying the herd is coming. Uh, for several years. Uh, and by that, he meant that uh, the Ethereum and Bitcoin phenomenon uh, was largely retail driven. Um, and by the herd, uh, he meant that institutionals were getting more and more interested. Uh, and uh, the herd is now taking um, university economics courses uh, delivered by Michael Saylor and crew uh, in how to um, exist and thrive in the early days of the decentralized protocol system and in the early days of, of DeFi. Um, so um, with respect to futures, options, um, regulators in the United States, um, these organizations need to be prudent uh, as they divest themselves of, of certain assets and invest in certain assets. Um, there is likely a transformation going on, an evolution going on between 
uh, legacy or state issued assets and uh, newer decentralized protocol assets in, in different forms. Um, and uh, they need the, as you said, financial infrastructure, they need instruments uh, so that they can respond in real time if they want to put on a hedge or if they want to take advantage of an opportunity or you know, if they want to wire up a, a lending driven financial flow in real time uh, in DeFi on Ethereum. So that, that's coming real soon. Uh, real organizations are, are getting serious about that. Um, and bottom line, uh, they're not ready to hedge in DeFi on Ethereum. Um, but absolutely, they, you know, they already have the accounts open. Uh, they have for years or decades, and uh, um, this moves cryptocurrencies into their wheelhouse. And uh, they know that uh, the world is evolving much more rapidly than we all expected it to, um, for certain reasons. Uh, and uh, the smart ones, the aware ones, are going to survive and thrive. Uh, and if your head is buried and, and you, for whatever reason, uh, aren't paying attention to or uh, refusing to understand and acknowledge what's going on in our ecosystem, then uh, you're going to have a, a wicked game of catch up or find a, another job or career or something like that. Speaking of a, a wicked game of catch up. Uh, one thing that really interests me about this this ETH futures release is that it, it took Ether only five years to get futures, yet it took Bitcoin nine. And like naturally, Bitcoin came first. It has a harder fight to fight. But Ether, Ether got futures faster than faster than Bitcoin did. What what is your takeaway from that? Uh, so I I would say thank you to Bitcoin for being there first and, and paving the way significantly. Big brother um, Bitcoin. And and so. It, you know, the CME, SIBO, others, um, ARISX especially, uh, have, have done a tremendous amount of work to, to try to get the regulators comfortable with this. Um, it was weeks away, uh, a few years away. <laughs> and, uh, and regulators uh, have put up uh, uh, hurdles or just slowed processes. So um, uh, built on the shoulders of giants uh, and, and giants in our ecosystem. Um, and I, I think what you're saying has merit that, uh, uh, I forget the exact wording uh, of, uh, Mr. Tarbert, but, uh, he just said something like Ethereum is awesome, period, stop, something like that. Um, and, uh, that, that's just a reflection of the understanding of people, financial professionals who, when they take the time to understand the technology are just astonished at all the problems that it will solve and all the opportunities that it will create and the frictions that it will eradicate and um, the financial flows that will get immediate uh, and um, the agency that small organizations and individuals will have over their uh, economic freedom, their economic activity and their political activity. You know, Joe, on, on Bankless, we've called Bitcoin kind of the, the gateway drug to crypto, the gateway drug to, to DeFi. And um, I wonder if you sort of see that playing out. So you captured this moment in time where you've got Michael Saylor putting Bitcoin on the MicroStrategy 
balance sheet. We've just come off uh, news this week where it turns out Tesla stacked 1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin in January. And I was kind of struck by uh, their SEC filings where, where it sort of disclosed that information that they said they would pursue a strategy to continue acquiring digital assets. They didn't just say Bitcoin, they said digital assets. So I, you know, I'm curious, do you think that Ether is just going to follow in that same path now that we've got regulator approvals, like you know, CME futures? Is Ether going to be the next thing that a publicly traded company like a MicroStrategy buys? Maybe they start staking it. Maybe a Tesla buys Ether as part of its digital strategy portfolio. What's your take here? Yeah, so I was a Bitcoiner. Um, then I encountered Ethereum and was blown away by how much more expressive and capable uh, it would be. Uh, and we realized a lot of that vision. Um, I like to think of both the Bitcoin token and the Ethereum token as high-powered money. Uh, you may have called it uh, permissionless bandwidth. Um, and uh, those tokens are, are beautiful as they are. Um, Ethereum adds onto both of those high-powered money foundations uh, an astonishing layered complexity um, or you know, we, we will build an astonishing layered complexity out of, out of magic internet uh, money protocol Legos. Um, and uh, that that's where the excitement lies. Uh, so in staking, in massively uh, decentralizing these networks, I expect that we will see um, many organizations uh, contract to um, with a cloud or, or run their own infrastructure uh, consensus offers uh, uh, mining infrastructure or sorry uh, we do a little bit of mining but uh, staking infrastructure which is I think uh, what, what you're interested in uh, in discussing uh, and these uh, foundational protocols um, or at least ethereum um, serve as platform for other kinds of platforms and these other kinds of platforms are um, what I've sometimes called collaboration networks. Uh, and so we as individuals and organizations will be participating in a wide variety of collaboration networks that are built on platforms like Ethereum. And they will involve investing, they will involve um, holding tokens, they will involve uh, voting the governance rights on your tokens. Um, they will involve active treasury management. Um, they will involve setting goals for your collaboration network and raising money for your collaboration network and executing the work. Uh, so um, all of those different functions that uh, essentially sit in different companies right now um, are getting much more tightly integrated. Uh, I'm not sure how that's gonna play out other than by having much more granular groups of people uh, responsible for that and, and the uh, the boundaries between what we call companies uh, sort of dissolving, where I and you two will be part of lots of these collaboration networks for uh, work or leisure or research. Um, and, and so I fully expect that uh, um, any organization that wants to operate optimally and protect its interests uh, will need to pay attention to 
many aspects of the uh, emerging decentralized tokenized economy. And, and so, uh, yeah, treasury management um, doesn't necessarily mean just financial aspects anymore, or, or it won't soon. There's something interesting about Ether CME futures that is uniquely different than, than Bitcoin futures because Ether, the asset, and Ethereum, the platform, have a roadmap, right? There are ob uh, obstacles and objectives that we are going to get over as a community. Um, like we, we mentioned EIP-1559, that, that has become a, a core component of Ether, the asset, yet it is not yet included. And then we also have just the, the further democratization of staking and then ETH staking derivative tokens. Uh, so there's plenty of upgrades to have to put into Ether the asset. Ether the asset is set to have software updates, but that's weird because the Chicago Mercantile Exchange isn't it is a place to trade commodities, and nowhere has there ever been a commodity on the CME that has gotten a software update. Right? Wheat doesn't get a software update. Bitcoin does not get software updates. So how do you think how do you think about this comparison where like the the CME is trading this this asset that has like this roadmap, and how do you see the the Ether roadmap? specifically perhaps with EIP-1559 and then Ether staking derivatives, how do you see that impacting the long-term just institutional models of understanding Ether, the asset? So the first easy out answer to your question is that, uh, uh, yes, Ether is the token and the commodity. And just like um, the grain industry or the oil industry or the metals industry, um, there are lots of companies that organize their own strategies and roadmaps around um, sourcing, um, refining, packaging, and delivering and utilizing uh, those commodities. So I, I don't, I can easily map uh, our ecosystem uh, onto those ecosystems. Um, but the more profound, perhaps, uh, answer to your question is that. Uh, Things are shifting. I mean, the, the old world has certain models. And uh, as I discussed before, where these tokens aren't just money, they represent uh, a lot of different things. Um, and um, it's certainly a, a new kind of commodity. Um, it, it is uh, unprecedented. And uh, we're coming up. So it, it's a paradigm shift. It's uh, um, stated more intensely it's a clash of civilizations uh, and hopefully it'll be a gentle evolutionary clash um, but it's going to involve us bringing forth um, great exciting technology and showing uh, the benefits of that technology um, by demonstration as uber has done and airbnb has done um, and then it's going to involve a discussion in various jurisdictions around the world about how they would like this technology to fit in and serve uh, their particular civilization, their particular society, economy, ethos. Um, it will serve uh, Sweden differently from how it will serve mainland China, probably. Um, and it's a powerful technology, so I think it's going to transform everything over time. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, even regulation in the United States, uh, it's going to involve um a lot of learning from regulators and some of them have done a great job already um and it's going to involve a change in some of the rules um just because you know lots of rules around um financial regulation and compliance 
were designed to protect um, consumers from custodians. Uh, so if uh, consumers are only using self-custodied wallets and systems, um, then that some of that shouldn't apply or some of that should fall away potentially. Joe, I, when we come back, I want to talk to you more about this idea of the clashing of civilizations. Um, but before we do, we want to tell you a bit about the sponsors that made this episode possible. Synthetics is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetics is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by synthetics. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage, because that is the power of the synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders, developers can build on synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from Synthetics. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is both a one-two punch of an Ethereum smart contract wallet, as well as an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet wherever Visa is accepted. It's really a fantastic tool that lets you use Ethereum for what it does best, which is holding and managing your financial assets, but also keeps you connected to the rest of the world's payment rails. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if ever you need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized intermediary because your Monolith wallet is native to Ethereum. Monolith helps you transcend both the legacy and the crypto worlds because the money that you hold in your Monolith wallet has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. But with Monolith, so are the groceries at your grocery store or the coffee at your coffee shop. Go to monolith.xyz to sign up and get your Monolith Visa card today. All right, guys, we are back with Joe Lupin. Joe, um, want to talk about this comment that you made just, just prior to our break, where you talked about this clash of civilizations, right? And I want to unpack kind of what you mean there, right? Because there, there are maybe many elements of, of these civilizations that are clashing. So the bankless dichotomy would be there's a bit of traditional finance versus this new decentralized finance. We've also talked about kind of the, the nation state way of organizing things versus the protocol network state way of organizing things. But what do you think about when you talk about this, this clash of civilization? What are the, the civilizations that are clashing here? So what I was thinking about was uh, something that uh, is an older notion um, and it's still relevant, but uh, uh, early on, uh, several years ago um, before the project or um, in the early days of the project, um, 
it it was at least clear to us that uh, um, we would need to be careful uh, how we organized, uh, how we launched, how we publicized, uh, how we executed the project. Um, there was a concerted effort to avoid the United States of America. I sort of jumped back pretty quickly because um, I did want to operate there. Um, but uh, there was a, a history of um, the United States of America not liking projects that created their own money. Uh, and so we thought it might be a bad idea to piss the United States off early on. Uh, we'd land at JFK and uh, get tackled to the tarmac by the FBI and, and made an example of. Um, and so we did consciously avoid that for the first year uh, while still engaging with American lawyers. Um, and we set up in Switzerland because uh, they um, cherish freedom uh, and decentralization. Uh, and they think of government as a service pretty much uh, rather than uh, a right and they negotiate with you. Uh, so I had a great experience there. Um, and things went remarkably well, remarkably quickly. Um, we haven't made any horrible mistakes, um, but we were aware that uh, well-resourced vested interests would take notice of us at some point. Um, we've been delighted at how many people in government and, and industries really embrace these ideas and, and think they're valuable uh, and are adopting them. Uh, and supporting them, um, but still, uh, we have been thinking that uh, at some point we might run up against um, organizations that uh, have vested interests that don't want to play, that don't appreciate our, our existence and, and uh, the transformation that uh, we might represent. And so uh, we'll see that, I think, uh, although this change wave is awfully powerful, um, I, I believe that Ethereum as a technology, because it's so much more expressive, um, has staying power. Um, I didn't feel that Bitcoin had the same staying power, uh, just because you don't really build much on it. It's just, but everything's a belief system and Bitcoin is much more of a belief system than Ethereum is because you can just build a lot of functionality uh, on, uh, on Ethereum. Uh, until the recent uh, activities uh, where this belief system is being really strongly religiously adopted by major corporations in the United States. Um, I, I wasn't certain about Bitcoin. I'm pretty certain now. Um, and we, we just need a lot of that uh, so that um, um, Bitcoin, Ether, and other tokens, uh, other protocols are so embedded um, in the more fast moving organizations like companies, um, you know, similar to how uh, Uber and Airbnb established themselves and succeeded and then dealt with the regulators after, uh, I think we're on a good trajectory. And so hopefully the clash of civilizations will be as gentle as it has been for Uber and Airbnb. Yeah, absolutely. So the, this kind of leads into you a little bit of, of, you know, what you're doing with consensus, which I think is fascinating and fits into this, right? So it, it may be that, as we call kind of governments, the final boss, the final boss, the US government has not raised its head on Ethereum, because there are so many potential wins. Sure, sure they for, have. For, well, they have in some ways, but but there are also like, lots of wins. They've been pretty positive, yeah. 
yeah, oh, yeah and, sure. and exactly so like uh when the u.s sees uh maybe it's it's geopolitical adversary like china create its own closed private blockchain type solution um well it is adversarial be adversarially beneficial for the world to have a more open transparent linux type ethereum type open uh ledger so can you talk about what consensus is doing maybe with respect to, to stable coins and how governments around the world, particularly like free, open, democratic governments, um, think about Ethereum and the wins that they can get from an open ledger like Ethereum? Yeah, so we've done a fair amount of work um, to bring the Ethereum technology into the central bank digital currency context. Um, we work with two central banks uh, over time in the past, and we're working with four currently, and I think we're about to add three more. Um, and there are different use cases that we're exploring, uh, and it's early days for most of them. Uh, certainly China and a couple other nations are, are earliest in, in rolling out uh, pilot systems. Um, others are, are really quite in, in the early stages. Um, so the use cases are uh, things like cross-border payments or uh, retail payments, uh, so just payments by consumers. Um, and the Ethereum technology is getting real interest, which is exciting. Um, one argument that, uh, that we've been trying to make in certain contexts, and we made it in the, the context of the United States, is that, uh, yeah, it's nice to, to roll out your central bank digital currency on the next generation of technology. Uh, that just makes sense. Um, but if you really think about it, this is likely or can be uh, the foundation of your economy. Um, and we're in a moment where we're transitioning everything we do from analog and frictional forms to natively digital frictionless forms, uh, whether it's identity or reputation or money or other kinds of digital assets. Um, um, and when you do that, uh, clearing and settlement happens in the instant of the transaction, um, and you squeeze all the delays out of your system. And if you're squeezing all the delays out of these uh, different financial transactions, uh, you're essentially compounding the creation of value uh, much more closely over time. And so you're likely to grow value in your ecosystem much faster. So why would you wanna build uh, a money only uh, blockchain platform or near blockchain platform for your CBDC, central bank digital currency, when you can build something with smart contracts uh, and it can serve as your nation state blockchain, which interoperates with um, public mainnet blockchains. Uh, we do need public mainnet blockchains. I, I think nation states can and will and should have their own nation state infrastructure. So think of it as a, a subnet and, and different regions within a nation state uh, can and probably should do that sort of thing. Um, but we're gonna need a, a global settlement layer for digital assets that, uh, um, that everybody can trust, uh, especially as, uh, as um, nation states have issues with one another uh, as I think we're gonna increasingly see over the next uh, decade or so. So I, um, even, if, even if these nation states uh, do have issues, they should be able to enter into agreements. Um, they should be able to stake 
value in these agreements and there should be impartial judges that can potentially judge when something bad happens and, and slash stakes. So there should be um, you know, treaties uh, can be executed on blockchains. And most of the time when these nation states make agreements with one another, um, there isn't much um, enforcement power uh, unless you decide to do something really destructive. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, could um, not agree I, more with that. Like, so Dave yeah. and I have talked about so so much in Bankless how Ethereum kind of provides this credibly neutral substrate for the world, and it it, it can yeah. solve human global international coordination problems that we couldn't previously solve. Joe, I feel like we could get you on an entire episode to talk about all of the other things that Consensus is doing. Um, you know, because there's so much from MetaMask to Infura to all of these other things. But if you cool. could just I'll see you. see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> and that should be like a three hour long episode. But if you could just pick one thing right now, just one maybe project, something interesting that uh, you know is brewing at consensus that uh, bankless listeners would be interested in, what would you what would you talk about today? Uh, it's a hard one. Let me let me just go with our approach. Uh, so we've built um, a blockchain stack, um, the most dominant or, or utilized blockchain stack uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem and in the blockchain ecosystem that consists of Quorum uh, for enterprise uh, with uh, built essentially on, on two different uh, uh, Ethereum clients, Geth and Hyperledger Vesu. Uh, above that, we have Infura and Truffle and Diligence, which is our security audit group that also produces software. Uh, so that's uh, an infrastructure layer uh, that services developers and MetaMask uh, sits on top of that um, with the, I think we're at 1.8 million monthly active users now uh, in MetaMask. So that, that's consumer um, facing. And it's also B2B2C uh, as we launch the Snaps plugin architecture. We have a group that is building applications. Uh, we call that group uh, Commerce and Decentralized Finance Group. Um, and they are able to launch applications for consumers and make them available, make the APIs available to developers through Infura and, and Truffle. And also for some of them make uh, those financial instruments or financial flows or other services available to enterprise as enterprise gets uh, more and more excited about lining their treasuries with, uh, with Ether. Uh, and so the first really exciting application of all of that is is launching something called Metaswaps. Uh, and so we will be, Metaswaps is uh, off the charts in terms of its success in, in bringing a uniform interface to uh, swapping tokens and, and great pricing. So you're, you're getting everything uh, that you need in MetaMask rather than going to different uh, aggregators or DEXs. Um, we also have private market makers involved. Um, and we're gonna be doing that for a whole bunch of products and services uh, for, for those three cohorts, consumers, developers, and enterprise. So long-winded, um, but uh, uh, MetaSwaps is exciting and much more to come. Joe, I think everyone in the Bankless Nation and the broader Ethereum community at large has to thank, for, thank you for everything you've done at Consensus, building out what makes the bankless nation tick like some of this infrastructure we wouldn't be able to have this podcast without some of the infrastructure that came out of consensus as a as a long-standing veteran of this crypto industry and of and have seen many many bull markets i want to ask this final question before we sign off here 
I'm tr what I'm trying to get my head around is like how big this bull market's about to be, right? And like I'm, I'm trying to like keep myself calm and like not get out over my skis and not just like get too bullish just because other people are getting bullish. But the world's richest man just bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. So like on the Richter scale of bull markets, like can, can you like, what are you feeling? Like how, how are you measuring this thing? Um, yeah, so one should always be careful and markets have a, a characteristic ebb and flow normally. Um, I don't think of this as a bull market. I think of it as a, a global paradigm shift um, and it's gonna be a new way of organizing all of the systems on the planet on, on new sounder um, trust foundations. Uh, and we're building financial infrastructure on that new sound trust foundation. Everything else can be re-architected um, much better on top of that. Um, you don't see assets power in such straight lines um, for quite long times unless something is going on. Uh, so I think we were already in the middle of a paradigm shift and that paradigm shift is now surfing um, the perfect wave, uh, which is, uh, caused by the perfect storm of COVID and uh, financial bubbles of all kinds. I mean, we're, we're at the end of a 70 plus year debt super cycle. Uh, that, that's how the system was organized. And uh, um, people have recognized that and are fed up about that. And it's broken, so broken anyway, that uh, a new paradigm um, has to occur. So, um, I won't say that I'm bullish, <laughs> but uh, something's going on. No, I think that smile says everything uh, we, we need. And it, it has been fantastic having you on the Bankless podcast. We really appreciate it, all the work that you've done in this space. And you've definitely foreseen many of these things before they happened. Um, congratulations to everyone in the Ethereum community on CME ETH futures. This is a massive milestone. And Joe, thanks for coming on and sharing it with us. Yeah, so thanks to you guys too. You guys are, are such a smart, entertaining breath of fresh air and such wonderful energy. Um, uh, I'm very grateful uh, for the work that you guys do. And I know that the ecosystem loves you. Well, we appreciate it, Joe. We got to get it's you in a bank. Fun. <laughs> yeah, it is fun. We just do this to learn. Oh, yeah. And um, there's no place I would rather be. And I think David feels the same. We both feel like we work for the community for the protocol, um, as I know you do. Well, fantastic, guys. Thanks, Joe, once again. Risks and disclaimers, of course. We talked a little bit about the bull market there, but you have to keep in mind, ETH is risky. None of that was financial advice. None of Absolutely. this is financial advice, as Never, always. Ever. Never ever, right, David? Uh, crypto is risky, so is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are head west. This is absolutely the frontier, and we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.